Welcome to this episode of Tied Together, which is going to be fascinating. With me today, I've got Raj Sundarayan, and he is the author of a new book that's coming out, The DAP Strategy, which is all about digital transformation and how digital adoption platforms can help. So we're really excited to have you here, Raj. Thanks. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's great. Do you just want to give our listeners a little bit of a background about you, how you got started in the industry, what the background is? Sure. So I kind of fell into HR tech it's almost 20 years ago with a company called ADP, where they were doing a lot of business process outsourcing. And I got a sense of what that looked like. And then I went to a European-based HR services company called Northgate Orinzo before going to SAP to run their HR line of business from a software perspective. And then I think it was around 2015, we'd sold a lot of cloud applications. I suddenly got a sense that the cloud meant something different to customers using the software. And I suddenly realized it wasn't about the sale, but actually the value realization and the continued value realization that the cloud offered. And so I did something rather crazy. I, I left that pretty comfortable role and went and pitched my way into doing a HR digital transformation program. So I crossed over, probably one of the craziest things I've ever done, and soon found out very quickly how out of my depth I was doing program delivery, but learned more in those six months than I did in probably the preceding three years in terms of what customers really think about when they're going through these transformation programs. And during that sequence of events, I came across what was then a tool called WalkMe and pitched my way in and helped build out that value proposition. I'll celebrate five years at WalkMe next week. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It seems like a real lifetime. But earlier this week, my book got published called The DAP Strategy. Great. Thanks for that. And so the DAP strategy came from you meeting the people at WalkMe. Is that how it happened? or So WalkMe pioneered the digital adoption platform. The company was founded because of our founder's mother's curiosity with technology. She wanted to do an online banking transaction, didn't know how to do it. So what did she do? She called her son. And he literally uh, had to navigate her over the phone through that transaction. Two weeks later, she called again. (laughs) Two weeks later, she called again. And at that point, her son thought maybe other moms and dads could benefit from the same type of help. And Walkman was born. And the original name of the company was the exotic make (laughs) tutorial.com. We initially helped organizations with usability on external websites. Today, it's cross platform, cross application proposition. Yeah. The thing that on everyone's minds is, what is a digital adoption platform? I think that's a really good question. And I'd like to start with some basic foundation blocks, if you wouldn't mind. And I start with these definitions. And it was actually quite confrontational for me when I was trying to define the terms as they came together. So if you think about it, how do you define to adopt was a challenge in itself. And so I went back to the dictionary and I always encourage listeners and the audiences that I'm presenting to, to scribble down very quickly what they think it means. And the Merriam-Webster dictionary actually says to adopt is the act 
to choose to use, but I felt it missed something. Mm -hmm. To me, it missed four key words in a consistent manner. So to me, to adopt actually means the act to choose to use something in a consistent manner. Now, Mm. as we extrapolated that and we started thinking about digital adoption, most people would have thought what that meant was the user's ability to seamlessly engage with technology to complete that business process in a consistent manner. But what a digital adoption platform strives to do is a little bit different. It's actually suggesting that the technology is the one who can proactively engage with the user to guide them through that process seamlessly to execute on that program. The onus is no longer on the user. It's actually on the technology to become more human-like, to understand what that user may want to do, and to be able to get them through that as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Okay. To summarize, so make sure that, you know, I've got it right. So basically organizations are transforming. They're putting new applications into their suite of tools. People in those organizations are finding it hard to navigate those tools and platforms. And a digital adoption platform sits over the top and helps them navigate through all those different tools and increases the adoption of the digital transformation. Is that right? Pretty much on the money. It is effectively a layer that takes away all the friction, all the obstacles through that process, right? And what it's designed to do is democratizing digital dexterity and the ability to remember and learn. So I talk about moving away from this whole notion of learning in the flow of work to executing in the flow of work. And in the book, I talk about the baby user, right? Now, in most organizations, we look at our employees and the users of technology as a homogenous stack of resources. But the reality is when you introduce a new piece of technology to a user, We are all baby users when we first start out, when we're looking at that new piece of kit. And what a digital adoption platform is designed to do is it's designed to help those baby users to start crawling, walking, running as quickly as possible. And each time there's a change to help those users to keep running and hurdle over the new changes, which may force them back into a state of walking or crawling. Yeah. Okay. So WalkMe's a digital adoption platform, but there's quite a few digital adoption platforms, right? There are many different flavors and varieties. And the way I look at it is a digital adoption platform, if you use a Lego brick analogy, comprises different functional layers and different digital adoption platforms have different functional layers, right? So in earnest, a digital adoption platform must do three things from a functional perspective. It must have the ability to help guide the user, proactively engage the user, and be able to automate certain steps. So take away the redundant clicks, almost like a GPS. If you think about you punch in where you want to go and off you run. Now, there are other digital adoption platforms which have a huge, huge bent on analytics. And I think this is where the real differentiator is, because in most transformations, most organizations don't actually get to see under the covers. 
right? So they don't really know where the friction points are. So to me, what is key in any digital adoption platform is the visibility, the underlying visibility of the tech stack. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to aggregate usage data, who's using, how long, how often, where. So I call that the first layer. The second layer, you should be able to then go in and tag steps in processes. And what that should then allow you to do is should give you a graphical representation of where people are dropping off in the process, how long it's taking them in between the steps of the process, so that if there's something material, you can then go back to those three functional layers that I talked about and build intervention events around guidance, engagement, etc., to take the pressure off those abandonment rates. Yeah. And I think that is a huge, huge thing around digital adoption platforms. And that's some of the things that people should be thinking about. It's really interesting because a lot of our listeners will be familiar with that kind of analytics for their websites or their e-commerce platforms. Today's world, that's just mandatory. So what you're really saying is actually that kind of thinking just hasn't been applied internally in organizations when they're transforming. You're absolutely right. And there's one reason why, because they don't look at the internal customer as the customer. So the external sites, the implications of not doing those are huge and very visible from revenue implications, etc. But what the smart organizations are starting to realize is that they're identifying the customer at different parts of the journey. So let me give you an example. Let's take a bank. If you've had an issue with your credit card, as a customer, you can go onto the site, pretty easy to navigate through a lot of the new banking portals, say, hey, I've got a problem with my credit card, and hit enter, and you're done. And you can deflect that support call from a traditional channel of a phone call, etc. Right? Go in, pretty easy to navigate. Now, what people have forgotten is, okay, downstream, how do I then help the internal associate go through the process of understanding, hey, I've got something to do here, navigate the six systems, make sure I've got the correct validation elements in place. Once I've unlocked it, then populate an email that then goes back to the customer. We've forgotten to do that just yet. And I think what's going to evolve very, very quickly for digital to truly take shape is that we're going to have to now rethink who the customer is and we're going to need to focus on the internal customer very quickly. Yeah, I very much agree. Why do you think that's happened or why do you think it's happening? Because I remember in the old days that internal systems used to be terrible to use. In fact, probably still are, you know, that's what we're talking about. But not much thought went into it. The UX was usually done by a developer because there was no UX team or a business analyst, uh, possibly even worse. No offense to business analysts. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) But the front end just wasn't thought through. You know, the interface wasn't really thought through. Why do you think it's important now to make a change? Every analyst firm has reported that value realization from digital transformation programs are pretty thin. Gartner is probably the most conservative They believe that you've got a 25% chance of success. That's being very, very positive. (laughs) I'm not a gambling man, but, you know, it seems that you've got greater chance of flipping a coin, calling heads or tails and being successful. And yet where gambling 
tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on these things. So I think the first thing is become very, very evident because the results haven't been so great. I think the second thing is countless senior leaders have been exposed from lackluster results from these programs, and they're starting to have to rethink things. You know, everybody used to think, let's buy more kit. By 2025, according to Battery Ventures, over a billion dollars is going to be spent on tech subscriptions of software. If you overlay services on top of that, it's going to be $3 trillion in total. That's like greater GDP than Italy. It's kind of nuts. I think that's one part. I think the second bit is people are demanding it now because of the complexity of work. I think people think it's a learning thing, but it's actually a doing thing, an executing thing. Do we really care if I know how to update my banking details in my HR portal? No. But do I need to do it? Yes, because if not, I won't get paid. With time, we've seen work become more complex. And in the book, I talk about this notion of the forgetting curve hitting us. And now leaders need both visibility and the ability to react to simplify work. And I think we're starting to see this maybe shifting into Europe, but we've certainly seen this in the US with the great resignation that's come upon us where we've seen not thousands, not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but millions of people just say, I'm not going to put up with the complexity of work. So I think you've got on the one side, we need to rethink the solution. And on the other side, we've got groups of people saying, I'm not going to put up with it. So I think there are two sides to the coin there. Mm. I have to bring this up because I can hear people thinking this. Surely there's an argument for user experience, the classic, make the product, the, the service better and more understandable and easier to use rather than also putting an adoption platform on top of it. If, to some people might be asking the question, well, surely if you have to put a layer on top to help people through, surely the digital tool wasn't designed very well in the first place. <laughs> what you're talking about there is a one size fits all. And unfortunately, there is no quintessential UX design because what is pretty for one is ugly for the other. And ultimately, what you need to be able to do is to think about how you can leverage technology to create a one-to-many proposition opposed to bank on, hey, that is the best looking color on the planet, because guess what? As human beings, we all have different aptitudes. So you will never, ever solve for the quintessential user experience. So instead of trying to chase that dream, why not try and solve a simpler problem by creating different user experiences, different journeys by leveraging data and insights to understand, hey, there's a problem there. Okay, let's go fix that. So to me, I don't believe that there is the best user experience on the planet. I mean, I'll give you an example. The book was out and yesterday I struggled. I kid you not. I struggled for 45 minutes trying to buy a Kindle version of my own book on Amazon. <laughs> I struggled. All right? I was in bed because I haven't got a copy of it and I struggled. So what did I do? I went to Apple Books and I clicked two buttons and I did it. Simple as that. So to me... I sincerely do not believe there is such a thing as the user experience, but I believe 
There is the ability to understand where the friction points are to create different experiences that solve a variety of permutations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. If you look at the population of the planet, not everyone is going to work with one single user experience. That's what you're saying. User experiences do qualify certain groups of people, I guess, right? So when you have a bank, it has a certain type of brand that attracts a certain type of customer. And that brand is then brought into the user experience. And I, I guess that is a little bit qualifying. So I very much get what you mean. But when it comes to internal systems, they do have to work for everyone in the business, whether they're yes. frontline or whether they're in the C-suite, right? The tool needs to work for everyone. And we'd like to think it does. Yeah. And by having a digital adoption platform on top of it, you're enabling everyone in the business to get the same out of the tool. Is That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yes, we're trying to democratize the ability to use technology to then hit the levers that we originally claimed we were going to in the original business case for change. And, mm. you know, one of the big, big items that I spend a lot of time with customers on is what was that business case for change? What are those financial metrics that you're trying to achieve? What are those operational levers we're trying to move? Because if we don't know those and we can't ease the friction through those, then how are you going to get that return on that business case for change? And that requires every individual from CEO down to the person on the shop floor being able to use the technology. And that's what a digital adoption platform does. It takes away the friction through those steps. Mm. I just want to clarify this. If you've got a digital adoption platform on your tool set, the UX of the tool set doesn't matter? Or can both these things live together? I think I'll answer it in two ways. First of all, I think they can live together. That's the first piece. The second piece is I think a digital adoption platform can help you sweat your asset further. So you may have some technology that may be not pretty, but functionally is sound. And to swap it out could be rather more disruptive. And what you could do is put a layer on top of it to make it a bit easier for people across the board. So I think, yes, it does coexist. I think the answer to most challenges is buy more software. I disagree with it. I think we got to learn to use the software that we have, get more out of it. And if at the end of the day, it doesn't meet our needs, then make a business decision to switch. So it may sound like a cop-out, but that's what I would recommend to most organizations. Yeah, I very much agree. I, we've done a few different podcasts over the last year or so about where organizations need to prioritize to build the products and services that their customers, internal and external, need. And part of the summary of that is that if you've got a product team working on a product and you've got the investment there, then having new iterations of the UX to improve that definitely works. But a lot of organizations have tools and services that just don't demand that kind of investment. It takes a lot of investment to have a team on a product and to keep iterating that product. Whereas there are lots of other tools in, in businesses. I remember one I built once back in the day, a travel booking tool. It used to work for this international global company. It was just me. I built it in about two weeks. <laughs> and the whole organization used it to book their travel. 
um, which was quite fascinating to see where some people were going and what they were claiming. But anyway, but then I had to go off onto another thing, right? There's lots of those business as usual applications that are out there that organizations are building and have that need something extra potentially on top because they don't have the financial ability to really invest in their development because actually it just doesn't make business sense. So by putting a digital adoption platform on top, that could be a much more cost-effective answer to get the best out of that platform. Is that what you're saying, Raj? I think there are two parts. I think one, it's a cost-beneficial proposition, but I think it's also time to market. When you think about a digital adoption platform, it's not an invasive proposition because it's an overlay technology. So what happens is you're not integrating, you're not touching source code, it's code-free. And so what happens is when you look at the underlying analytics or you want to build some intervention events or whatever it is you want to build, they can be built in seconds, minutes. And what happens is you you bring agility and flexibility into things. So whether it's a stopgap piece or whether it's something that you're saying, well, you know what? I want to test something out or I've got a gap here that I need to fill. All of a sudden, what you're doing is you're actually empowering the notion of agile. You don't have to wait for a drop. You don't have to then spend six weeks, six months, whatever it may be, to roll out a new piece of functionality. Off you go. And I think that's one of the true benefits of a digital adoption platform because of its lack of invasiveness. It allows this iterative process to come to life and this continuous process improvement to come alive. And so you can test and try. And it's that type of unique environment that you're creating that allows true innovation to come alive. That's my personal view. And that's just something that a lot of organizations have felt that I've worked with, have seen a real benefit from it. I can give you a couple of examples. I do work for a, a digital bank in Southeast Asia. When they saw the digital adoption platform, immediately they got it. They said, Raj, this is a quicker way to innovate for my innovation teams. But really the reason why they bought the platform from us is because they saw our ability to leverage the analytics to help nudge their customers through user journeys to drive revenue. And every time they saw someone drop off somewhere, overnight, they could create something else to push them through so they didn't fall through the net again. There's a perfect example from a revenue perspective of what they needed to do, and it was cheap and quick. So that's Mm -hmm. sort of like from a customer perspective. Now let's flip it out with another bank And this is a bit more public, and I'm happy to talk about this, Standard Chartered Bank. They really pride themselves on colleague experience, and they wanted to ensure that they could get as much alignment as possible through the employee base, through the media review process, to make sure everybody's aligned, they're all knowing which direction they're going, etc. And they came to us and said, look, we need to up our media review process completion rates. I said, great. Where are you today? We're at 13% across the board. Yeah, yeah, 13%. And I said, okay, where would you like to get to? He says, anywhere north of 13%. I said, no, seriously. He says, look, Raj, if we can get it to 50, that'd be great. I said, okay. Any other caveats? He said, yep. We don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on support and training because that's probably what we would need to do. We need to get people on the floor, cajole people, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to think about that. We probably haven't thought about things like how long it's going to take to complete. 
And we're trying to figure out from you, how can we deflect support calls? I said, great. So let's get down to it. So we built content, pushed it out. And the good news is they didn't go from 13% to 50%. They went from 13% to 93%. That was huge. That is, that is astounding. Now, why? Because we had built content with the user at the center where the content was readily available, where the user needed it. So if they got to a particular point in the process and didn't know what to do, they clicked the button. And there you had a digital adoption platform saying, this is the next step. If they didn't know what to put in that particular field, there was a little question mark there. They hovered over that and it brought the quick reference guide material into that particular point of the process. Those little question marks, we call them smart tips, were used 63% of the time by users. So guess what? Those question marks represented support, help desk. So we were deflecting all those from going to a contact center. And at the end of it all, what was really beautiful around all of that, we could actually measure the time it took to complete. And those who used WalkMe and that digital adoption platform to complete that process, completed the process a whole 40 minutes faster than those who didn't. So Hmm. you went from 13 to 93%. You did not need to invest in support or training. You just invested in building some of this content. And that content was used 63% of the time. And the icing on the cake was whoever used it completed the process a whole 40 minutes faster, which then allowed you to actually have a proper conversation internally and really get proper alignment in the business. And I think that's a real sexy example of how you can use this thing to help. Okay, that's really interesting. I'd like to talk about the content in a minute, actually. Sure. But I suppose a question on probably all of our listeners' lips is around, there's a tool and an approach called CRO, conversion rate optimization, which we're big proponents of, and we do a lot of work around it. How does that fit in? Because what you've just been describing is kind of a CRO approach. But in CRO, you'd also be able to do A-B testing as people go through the journey. So does a digital adoption platform also have that on it? Yes. So how a digital adoption platform works in very high level, you deploy a browser extension Mm -hmm. and basically point the browser extension to whichever application there is, or you put it as a snippet like you would Google Analytics. The moment it's deployed, it gets to work. And as it does, it starts aggregating information, usage, etc. Now, you then go into the editor. And then what you can do is you can say, okay, let's pick a process. And you can define the steps in the process. And as you define the steps in the process and you hit the run button, it then does a retro based on all the data it's captured since the browser extension has been deployed. So step one, let's just take any process. And all of a sudden, it plays it out. These are the 10 steps. And all of a sudden, you can start seeing where the abandonment rates are. Great. No problem. That is where you are today. You then have the ability to do A-B testing and compare cohorts, time frames, whatever you want, because what you're trying to do is, hey, if I built an intervention event to solve that problem, is it having an impact? And immediately what you're able to do then, you're able to see if it does have an impact and then figure out if you need to do anything else. So it absolutely Mm -hmm. has the ability to not only just diagnose where the challenge is, but also create the content that solves for that diagnosis. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I had a customer. They had a recruiting platform and it was designed for engineers. And they went through this piece and people loaded up all their information, et cetera, et cetera. But most of them missed attaching their resume. They just ignored the button. Mm -hmm. But everybody wanted the resume. And as they went through that, they had actually realized that's where the error was. So they went back in, put a data validation tag on the attach resume button, and basically set a rule which said, if you don't click it, don't pass go, don't collect $200. And immediately, those who forgot, they got prompted, oh, please attach your resume. Guess what? Immediately, attachments of resume went to 100% because you'd validate mm -hmm. as you went. And that's what the A-B testing piece allows you to do. There's an interesting thing here because obviously validation is one of the banes of a developer's life. And I used to be a developer, so I can say this. They often do their best, but <laughs> their best is not always good enough. And also you find a lot of change requests in platforms come back around validation and the way that it should flow. So what you're really saying is, is that if an organization decides that everything is going to be covered by a digital adoption platform going forward, they could have the benefit, and this is a radical idea, and I'm known for my kind of slightly off sideways thoughts, but the radical idea is that they could say, developers, you don't need to do validation work anymore. Just build the forms without validation. And actually the digital adoption platform will put the validation on top. And because of that, it was no code configurable, right? And suddenly you save yourself some money there. That's just a, just a thought. Raj, you don't know what to say at this point. <laughs> Let's put it in a different way. We were talking about the quintessential UI a couple of minutes ago. There's no <laughs> such thing. And what you just shared there is you agree, right? You're absolutely right. Now, look, what we're trying to do here is we believe that the user should define where they need help. And the way we find that out is through the analytics. And if it yeah. ends up that you need to validate every single cell to satisfy, great. But guess what? That validation should be subliminal, hidden in the background, doesn't appear unless you actually need it. I remember when we first started doing cloud deployments, it was quite embarrassing because everybody thought a cloud deployment was, let's take everything on-prem and squeeze it into this thing and then put it into the cloud. Nobody thought about standardizing, simplifying. It was ugly old process, which now became expensive old process. And we lost all the real benefits of the cloud apart from hey, we're going to take costs out of internal infrastructure. I know I'm generalizing here. Now, when I went back to a lot of customers, when I suddenly realized what a digital adoption platform could do, I said, guys, you're going to spend half a day arguing around nomenclature, around whether you do this data format there or that data format here. I said, guys, don't worry about it. If you have a digital adoption platform, you can make nuances, configure nuances for different parts of the world. So don't worry about it. Move on. Move on. And if I were you, I would do as little customization in the core software because as long as the software doesn't need to think, it works faster, better every time. So put all that configuration, all that custom type stuff on your digital adoption platform. And that is probably a radical idea that you and I both agree on. Absolutely. Just talk a little bit about content, because there does seem to be the need to build a lot of content for it. Well, I'm hoping it's kind of incremental. So you don't need to sit down and write all the content for everything, first of all, but you follow the insights. Is that true? 
So there are a couple of ways to approach it. And the first one is if you've already got a deployment, my recommendation is just deploy the browser extension, let it do its thing. Let it start aggregating information and you'll be surprised of the things you learn and you need to solve for. Because there'll be a whole bunch of stuff there that may not impact productivity, may not impact cash flow benefit, and then you go build content for that, it's a complete waste. Alternatively, you start realizing there are elements that do impact cashable benefit, do impact share price, and you want to dive into it. I'll give you a, a very quick example. Um, I do some work with an engineering services firm, and one of their key metrics is improving operating cash flow. Yeah, they're a services company, so we need to collect money as quickly as we can. I kind of thought it was pretty straightforward, but when they told me what their problem was, it's not as straightforward. Most of their contracts are net 30-day payment terms. And you kind of think, well, they get paid in 30 days. Well, actually, not really, because it actually takes them 30 days to get an invoice out. Why? Because the people who are doing the jobs aren't filling up their timesheets. And when they finally get into it, they're filling them wrong. And then by the time they get reviewed and everything else, and it goes to a customer for review and all those shenanigans taking place, 30 days have passed. And finally, you get a clean invoice. So you're now dealing with net 60 days. This customer said, but Raj, what you're telling me here is I now have a unique way to proactively engage with each of these users to get them to do things in a timely manner, in an accurate manner. And I can shrink that 60 days down to 45, maybe down to 40 days. I said, yes. Now, if it's a new implementation, there are two things that I would suggest. I'm pretty sure that you probably have historical data from support calls around certain processes that were quite pertinent. Build those first, because when you go live, even with a new system, they're going to have to do those set processes. If those impact the business more, build those first. And then if you have a calendar, so I know HR is famous for this. Certain parts of the year, you've got goal setting, performance management, calibration, that type of thing. Build that for now. Don't build the other stuff that you won't need till later on in the year. So it is an incremental build. And if you go to an experienced digital adoption provider, they will actually have solution accelerators, which are based on these common processes, which you can then leverage as well. So probably a three-step approach that you could think about. Okay, that's interesting. And then I suppose the other bit is obviously that content has to come from somewhere. And there are experts on certain platforms in different businesses. There's always someone who knows how to use this esoteric piece of software that everybody needs to use but doesn't understand. And they're the people who write the content, right? Well, you're talking about Marge. Everybody yeah. has Marge somewhere. Look, we find that the people who actually know how to use the stuff are the guys in the call face. So you've got a blend of people that you can go to. Sometimes it's L&D. I like going to the support center because those are the real people who have to deal with everything day in, day out. So I think if you blend L&D with support center personnel and you empower them to create experiences that simplify their world, what you will see is true innovation come about within the business. Average handling times will drop quite dramatically. Employee sat will improve. Customer sat, more importantly, will go through the roof. We've talked a lot about internal systems, but do you see this as something that could work externally as well on services and tools? I think it started externally. I think it's headed quite dramatically internally. 
But where the magic happens is when we link the two together. I don't think uh, organizations have linked the two together. I think they focused on what they deemed to be the customer, which was the external paying person, because that was important. They're now thinking, hey, you know, we thought we were doing the internal customer a favor by giving them all this new kit. They didn't realize, well, you're not doing me a favor. You're making my life more complex. And now they're realizing Mm -hmm. they need to simplify that. I think that's stage two. And the ones that might be a bit further along have realized that once you've done step one and step two, now it's time to connect one and two together. And then all of a sudden the magic happens. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. This has been an incredible learning session for me, finding all about digital adoption platforms. Would you say this is a very new part of the tooling mix or do you think digital adoption platforms have been around for a long time? I think they've been around in different forms. So uh, we used to call them training managers, change managers. We've just rethought it a little bit by applying some technology there. WalkMe's digital adoption platform was pioneered 11 years ago because of that mother's Mm. curiosity with technology. So is that new? Is it old? I'm not sure. I think Microsoft might have talked about Clippy in uh, (laughs) the old days. I don't know if you're familiar with Clippy, which used to appear I don't know whether we can talk about Clippy, but yes, <laughs> we, all, we all remember Clippy, or most of us do. We're trying to forget. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things you can't forget, I don't think. So I think concepts have been around, form factors certainly have been around, and it's just been rethought. And I think mm. what's going to happen now is the software is going to evolve in such a way that it's going to become more human. And it's going to be able to understand context and it's going to be able to provide the right assistance at the right time so we can execute processes at work in a far more efficient and effective manner. It can only get better and it will only get better because the market is demanding that. Yes, I definitely see that. Have you got any more predictions for the future? Well, in the book, I've actually outlined a few. Well, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it, Raj. No, no, no. I'm going to give you one. I'll give you one. It seems like this one is resonating in a lot of places and people are saying to me, oh, how did you stumble upon that? And I said, well, you know, like most things, I got lucky. And I talk about this as as a prediction. And this was by 2025, a digital adoption strategy becomes a core talent acquisition strategy. And I think it's pertinent because of what's going on around us today with the great resignation, with the complexity of work, with the hybrid workplace and everything else. And what I predict is digital employee experience becomes a top five question on a candidate's decision criteria on whether to join the organization, not employer's decision, candidate's decision criteria to join an organization. Companies that do not have a legitimate answer will not merely struggle with first a churn of new hires, but will struggle to attract the right talent and skills because people will simply not want to come to work and put up with the complexity of work. Now, that's my prediction for 25, 2025. Some people seem to believe that might come a bit sooner. I've got seven predictions uh, outline in the book. So uh, let's see how many of them do come through. Yeah. I, I mean, that is a very powerful one. 
and one that I also think is likely to come true because I think work is getting more complicated. People are changing jobs at a higher frequency. And so therefore, you don't have that knowledge in the business anymore. You don't have people who've been experts in the system there for longer periods of time. And because of that, I think that prediction is pretty much spot on. I can definitely see that happening. And that's why there's a subheading within the title of the book, and it's a new way of working to de-risk and accelerate your digital transformation. And that sentence was there because of that exact point. I've seen too much experience being washed out of organizations, whether they've moved to agile or whatever it was. And Marge ended up not being picked after the schoolyard pick. And all of a sudden, Marge is now at home with the grandkids or the kids or whatever it may be. And the CEO says, oh, I want to do this. And says, oh, I'm not sure how to do that. But Marge used to do it. And Marge is no longer with us. And instead of keeping Marge in the business to help build out all this content, all this richness, so that at the end of the day, we're de-risking the program, we're doing more harm than good. And that's why I think we really do need to rethink how we keep the richness of these processes and the, the intent and how to execute on them within the organization. If not, all this digital stuff isn't really worth what we're doing because we're never going to get the benefits out of it. Maybe I'm being too controversial, maybe a little bit cynical, but I really do believe we need to rethink that problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Raj, I just got to say thank you for your time today. It's been a fascinating journey talking about this, and I'm sure it's got lots of people's minds thinking. So your book is out. It's out this week, right? It got launched two days ago. Physical copies have landed. I know it's landed in London. It's out this week. It's shipped to, I don't know if it's 28 countries or 28 cities, but it seems an awful lot. I didn't expect that. And the title is The DAP Strategy, right? The title is The DAP Strategy. You can find it on most online retailers, or I've created a website called dapstrategist.com, and all the information is there. And if you leave your particulars, I've even got a DAP assessment sheet that you can have. You know, you fill in and try and figure out where you are on that journey. And if you'd like, you can set up some time to have a conversation with me. I'd be delighted to share some thoughts on it. Thanks, Raj. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you today. I have to say I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's another episode of Tied Together. Thanks, and we'll see you all again next time. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together. If you have any comments or you have any feedback for us, you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesis.co.uk.